0: Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast, where healthcare meets business with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litze. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litze, and today I have the great pleasure of speaking with two of my most favorite physical therapists on the planet, Dr. Ginger Garner and Dr. Joe Tata. And we are talking about integrative and lifestyle medicine in physical therapy which is also the name of the book that they are the co-editors on. This book has uh, so many amazing authors from the world of physical therapy. Um, I am very, very honored to be counted amongst these great physical therapists who had a hand in this book. So we talk about uh, what integrative and lifestyle medicine encompasses and how physical therapists are uniquely positioned to implement integrative and lifestyle medicine efficiently. So we talk about how to engage in healthy movement, empower patients to move, modeling healthy lifestyle behaviors, how behavior change is important, and trusting your instincts, instincts to succeed, cultivating diverse skills, and on and on and on. So a little bit more about my guests. Dr. Ginger Garner is a therapist, author, educator, and advocate for improving access and equity to pelvic health physical therapy services. She is the founder and CEO of Living Well Institute, which certifies healthcare providers in functional and integrative lifestyle medicine, and also offers wellness classes to the public on the same topics. She is also the creator of Medical Therapeutic Yoga, professional yoga therapist certification, the only certification of its kind worldwide for medical professionals. She practices at Garner Pelvic Health, which she founded to offer integrative telehealth and in-person pelvic and orthopedic care. She is the author of multiple books and book chapters published in several languages. She has presented internationally at over 20 conferences, teaching on a range of topics about pelvic and orthopedic health, health. Ginger is an active member of the APTA, APTA North Carolina, APTA Private Practice and Academy of Pelvic Health, and she lives in Greensboro, North Carolina with her family. Joe Tata is a global leader in integrative pain care and an advocate for the safe and effective treatment of chronic pain. He is the founder of the Integrative Pain Science Institute, a cutting-edge health company reinventing pain through evidence-based treatment, research, and professional development. For 25 years, he has supported people living with pain and helped practitioners deliver more effective pain management. His research and career achievements... Includes scalable practice models centered on lifestyle medicine, health behavior change, and digital therapeutics. He is a doctor of physical therapy, a board certified nutrition specialist, and acceptance and commitment therapy trainer. He is the author of two best best-selling books, Radical Relief and Heal Your Pain Now, and the host of the Healing Pain Podcast. And like I said, they are also the co-editors of the massive book, Integrative and Lifestyle Medicine in Physical Therapy. So a huge thanks for both to both Ginger and Joe for coming on the podcast today and everyone enjoy today's episode and have a great week. Hello Joe, hello Ginger. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you both on. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: Hey there. Thanks for the invite.
0: Yeah, and today we're gonna be talking about integrative and lifestyle medicine. And of course, about this amazing book that you two were the main editors on. So for the people watching on YouTube, I'm gonna hold up the book so you can see how beautiful it is. Integrative and Lifestyle Medicine and Physical Therapy. Nice, thick book. Lots of um, um, just really top-notch authors in every single chapter. I was very honored to be asked to be a part of it. Um, And it is really such a great book. Um, And it it was published by OPTP. Um, We'll give them a big shout out because they were really wonderful to work with. But we will get to more about the book in a little bit and where people can find it and all the other co-authors in the book. But before that, What is integrative and lifestyle medicine and why should we care?
2: That's a that's a great question. Um, I'm sure we have we all have lots to say about that, but um, the the short and simple answer is there's two different systems of medicine that um, really integrate well with each other, and they both have their origins. Although integrative medicine, as defined by the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health, would define it as a, as a group of a category of a group of therapies, which encompass a lot of mind-body therapies, um, which can include nutrition, it can include lifestyle changes, but it's not, uh, or lifestyle habit changes and behavioral change, but it's not necessarily limited to that um, because you can talk about supplemental care, which could be mean food-based, um, changes in someone's diet but also supplemental changes as well so we're talking about a lot of things um, from integrative medicine to uh, then including lifestyle medicine as well as a part of that which is there's six facets or foundations of of lifestyle medicine Um, and there are things that you and i would think about pretty commonly um, especially since all of us practice it Um, sleep stress management physical activity Um, nutrition, what we're taking in, that's including also our environment around us. So relationships as part of that environment, but also what we're exposed to every day. Do we have access to clean air, soil, water? Um, What kind of medications are we taking and what are they doing um, to our systems? So if we step back from both of those kind of systems of medicine, they're both very systems driven in that they are looking for root cause. And that makes it a lot different than what we were taught and what we learned, because um, for better or worse, we don't have a lot of space in our physical therapy uh, curricula to wedge anything else in there. And that doesn't leave us a lot of space to become experts at mindfulness, for example, which is a huge part of integrative medicine, or to learn Tai Chi or yoga or Pilates or to discuss nutrition in any depth and so uh, Joe and I felt really strongly about bringing um, a group of people together that um, could write about this and um, kind of fill a a really I would say urgent need uh, today in healthcare because the CDC the World Health Organization um, unanimously together say look we should all be screening for these things you know, quality of sleep, for example, in order to determine how we're going to intervene. But unfortunately, statistically, we're not doing it, but hopefully um, things are going to change soon.
0: Yeah. Joe, anything you wanted to add to that? Uh,
1: just as I, as I listened to Ginger um, speak about these principles of integrative and lifestyle medicine, as she mentioned, all of us are, are kind of aware of them, but it was interesting um As we went through as karen you were with us you know writing this book together with us we had 39 contributors but as we went through the development of this book we actually wound up smack dab in the middle of covid and what was interesting is all of a sudden front and center we started talking or the or the press really started talking more about um, non-communicable diseases and how lifestyle affects those types of conditions and how those that suffer from those conditions are more likely to um, have a, a less optimal outcome from something like COVID. So, you know, I think as, as physical therapists, we're aware of this content. It, it is in the DPT curriculum in the health and wellness promotion um, content typically. And some programs have uh, one course in health and wellness. Some have two or three. Some are weaving it through the curricula. so it's there. Um, we would just, our goal is really to be more intentional and to create a resource that our that our profession, the profession of physical therapy, but this book is also useful for OTs and chiropractors and nurses, mm-hmm. um, and just to you know be more intentional and say, hey, here's what this is. Let's lay it out in the in the context of physical therapy, but let's now be more intentional as a profession and as individuals to help people access these types of, of behaviors.
0: And why? Physical, I mean, aside from the fact, yes, we are all physical therapists, but why do you guys think physical therapy in particular is sort of uniquely positioned to fit very well within this integrative integrative and lifestyle medicine model?
2: Well, we, gonna, I'll, I'll
1: start with ahead. that first and then I'll let Ginger. I know Ginger has a lot to say about this. When I so one of the one of the co-authors um is Janet Besner. Mm-hmm. So Janet Bezer has been a physical therapist for a long time. She's a fellow of the association. She is a DPT program uh, professor and, and actually leads a program, is a director of a program. And she did some of the earliest work on health and wellness promotion. And when you look at her, it's a perspective paper that's in PTG. I think it was published in 2015. Everyone can, and can look at it and link to it. Um, she, in many ways, really framed this out for the profession. So it's been there for, you know, greater than probably 10 years. And we still haven't really, I would say, taken it on, Take have taken this challenge on probably the way we should, knowing that we see people with comorbid, comorbid conditions. Uh, we have the background. We have the skill set on some level. We have foundational skill set coming out of school. Of course, you can always improve upon that. Um, we have the license. And in a lot of ways, we're already integrated, we're already working in things like education or pain education, exercise, manual therapy, Um, even things like modalities and dry needling fit into this to a certain extent. So in many ways, we're already doing it. But I think, you know, we kind of have this little bit of a kind of a call to action to the profession to say, hey, we might in, in certain ways in certain places, really be an optimal practitioner to start to kind of fill this void in in the healthcare system.
0: Ginger, go ahead.
2: Uh, yeah, I think that um, says it so well. We, we have the space and the time. And I say that um, also thinking about how much we can influence policy to improve that. So while we do have the space and time, I would say we still don't have enough of that space and time. But compared to other practitioners, we are ideally suited to be delivering it because even in the larger systems, you would get 45 minutes, whereas a PA or other healthcare providers, just they just aren't given the luxury of time uh, because they could certainly well deliver this information too. And I think it's a, a huge team effort for us to look at for, first of all, appreciating the time that we do have and that's I think you know one of the biggest strategies of the book is to manifest it in a way that's practical. Because, while there are health and promotion classes and and. Um, and everyone is trying to, to do their part to progress the profession we are handed these policy issues that prevent us from doing all that we can so while on the one hand, we have that time, I think, on the. other. Other hand, um, because policy is so important, we also can um, work to to expand that and make it even better. So we can be, we can do a couple of things. Obviously serve our patients more thoroughly and look for root cause, which both integrative and lifestyle medicine uh, do, um, but also be able to make sure we're taking good care of ourselves because we have burnout and Uh, particularly with COVID, um, the things that we're struggling with, no one escaped loss and job difficulties during this time. So um, the other beautiful thing about ILM to maybe shift gears a little bit in what we're talking about is it's very much uh, can be trauma-informed, which is uh, a wonderful, unique thing about it.
0: And what what do you guys say to, let's say, the staff physical therapist who's like, I have to see two to three patients an hour, the way it is, how am I supposed to incorporate all of this other stuff into my treatment plan for my patients? So what tips or advice do you have for those therapists? Or or let's say, and, and I don't want to pigeonhole and just say outpatient therapy, since that's kind of what I do, but you could be in a hospital setting, you can be in a um, a skilled nursing facility or an inpatient rehab home health, you know, there's lots of different settings. So I don't want to, uh, let the listeners who are physical therapists out there would say, oh, well, we're, we're just talking outpatient. Cause that's not true.
1: Yeah.
2: Joe, did, did you, me? you held your finger up for just a second? Did you have another? I,
1: I want to, I want to talk about policy for just a minute, but mm. let, yeah, let, go let, ahead. Yes. Yeah. So just on the policy piece, because uh, Ginger and I are always talking about kind of the policies and politics of, of our profession, so to speak. Um, the House of Delegates has a number of position statements that really have been developed over the years. They really reinforce us using integrative and lifestyle medicines. So for example, Ginger and I have been involved in some of these actually. Um, complementary and integrative interventions is a House of Delegates statement. Suggesting that physical therapists use complementary integrative interventions. Ginger played a pivotal role in that, uh, both in uh, North Carolina and on the national level. Um, The role of the physical therapist diet and nutrition, I was involved with a couple of years ago. Um, The association's role in prevention, wellness, fitness, health promotion that I mentioned, uh, that's been out there for a long time. You know, now we have the role of the physical therapist in uh, behavioral and mental health. So really bring in a more integrative approach to mental health, not just the top-down cognitive pieces, but how we can bring the body into that type of care. And then I think finally, the most important one is our role as primary care and entry point providers is that, as Ginger, Ginger mentioned, we should be screening for all these things. Now, I know on some level, to, to kind of start to answer your question, mm-hmm. it can seem overwhelming. And we're not necessarily suggesting that, that you have to do all of these things at all, at all times, but- Consider for a moment that your patient, well, two things. First is if you're working in a, a hospital system, let's say, mm-hmm. and maybe your patient is seeing a dietitian or a nutritionist or something like that, um, or maybe the doctor is counseling on exercise on, on nutrition, consider that all of our clients and patients need to have these behaviors reinforced. So if you can reinforce this as the physical therapist, things like nutrition, exercise, sleep, the patient's more likely to start to develop those those healthy habits than just hearing it from one person. Um, The other thing is there's a whole realm of research on brief interventions, things between five and 10 minutes. So five and 10 minutes of nutrition education, five and 10 minutes of mindfulness-based stress reduction. Um, That can be as significant for a health outcome as a 40 minute session. And a lot of people actually do better with really short little pieces of behavior change. So you don't have to tackle these things all at once. You can kind of address these bit by bit slowly as you're seeing the patient, let's say twice a week for 6 to 8 weeks no matter what type of uh, setting that you're in.
0: Yeah, yeah I like that.
2: Yeah, that's there's a recipe for success that's reasonable, that doesn't put a lot of stress on you for pretty much any, um, any setting. I know Joe and I have both been involved for decades in in teaching continuing education about this. And um, the the same uh, short intervention also goes for tobacco cessation. In fact, that was one of the strongest um, pieces of the evidence uh, was that those short interventions of about five minutes were the most effective.
0: So that takes some pressure off of of our ever <laughs> yeah, everyday yeah. clinicians thinking. Oh my gosh, I'm supposed to do physical <laughs> therapy, but how am I supposed to give yeah. education for a half an hour? And so instead, we're talking about little snacks. Go ahead, Joe.
1: So the other thing that Ginger and I had discussed, and it's in the book, I believe, in the in the beginning, is just changing our mindset around one what we do as licensed health professionals as a primary intervention. And then two, changing the idea of giving people a home exercise program. So instead of prescribing a home exercise program, what if you prescribe an integrative lifestyle medicine program for people? And that really starts to shift kind of really our professional identity in some way. And I know that can be, um, you know, a little kind of alarming for people where they say, look at it like, well, I do exercise and manual therapy. And that's... Awesome, And you should continue to do that, but realize that for the, for the kind of comorbid multi-conditioned person that we're seeing, that might not be enough. And in many ways, we have an obligation as licensed health professionals to really go deeper with people. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it's a little bit of a, a shift in our professional identity, but it's one that Ginger and I have, and not just Ginger and I, I mean, there are many therapists who have done this type of work for, for decades And yes, it takes a little bit of of behavior change on our part, but it's extremely rewarding once you're able to um, help someone on that deeper level.
0: And what does that look like in a practical way? So most people can wrap their head around a home exercise program. What does an integrative and lifestyle medicine home program look like?
2: Yeah. Yeah. To speak to a little bit of the um the overwhelm that if you're listening as a therapist that you might feel towards gosh how can i implement all this um i make sure that if we're talking about a typical patient encounter patient comes in i have them fill out probably more information than the average intake because some of that is their ilm inventory so that the homework is kind of done on the front end And then when they're finished with their moment in time with me, they do get, and I use some tech and mobile health apps, that kind of stuff. So technology, yay for tech, does help me get my job done better. We were just talking about this before the podcast, Uh but um, that helps me do a better job and a more thorough job. It also helps for that behavioral intervention that Joe was talking about to kind of drive home that message of, of short interaction. So when they're done with me, once they connect to the portal, just practically speaking, then they're given a lifestyle profile that they can fill out in more detail. So then I can dive deeper because sure, they might have had a brief intervention with sleep, but once they fill out a little bit more information, then I can dive deeper in future sessions. Um, and that way it, it does um, give them some of that. The two things that are really important in people following through, which is locus of control and mm-hmm. self-efficacy. If if they go home feeling that, um, and one of the ways that I determine that is I send them a follow up follow up email on the portal of uh, measuring confidence level. And if I can get to that seven out of ten confidence level for them, I feel like well I must I must have done something right. <laughs> that they're feeling good about things. Mm-hmm. And if not, then that allows me to circle back and go, gosh, do, do I need to send more instructions? Did I miss something? Did I not do what I needed, you know, to do well in order to, to help them make that behavior change? But that's kind of a, a practical ABC of how they come in and how I managed my time, because what if they're coming in for some layered stress urinary incontinence and pelvic mm-hmm. organ prolapse, and then I'm supposed to measure all this stuff with it. But that's how it gets done. So the bulk of my work can be on pelvic organ prolapse. And then all the edges, you know, are integrative lifestyle medicine that kind of bring it all together. And then I call it an IHP, um, an individualized home program so that Mm -hmm. they can carry that and and go with it. But that's kind of a snapshot view of um, how I approach it. Cool.
0: Joe, how about you?
1: So I like to look at this from the position of one of our jobs is to empower patients or empower people with health conditions. I hate, I hate to use the word patients anymore. I just like to call it people with health people. conditions, people <laughs> with pain, right? We're working with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we have, we, one of the things that doesn't really come up too much, I don't think in school or in practice is that when people choose the intervention that they want, they're more likely to follow through with it and and gain a benefit. And that's what Ginger's really talking about, that locus of control, self-efficacy part. So as an example, I have a a person with pain who came to me a couple of weeks ago, and she's been in physical therapy before. And she currently um, does yoga online with a really nice portal. I checked it out and vetted it three to four times a week. It's a yoga class, gentle yoga, three to four times a week. So In my mind, I'm checking off the box. This person's engaged in some type of healthy movement, right? So at that point, what I do is I usually present, and this is on a piece of paper, basically with, with imagine a bunch of circles on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And in those circles, it says, um, physical activity, healthy nutrition, sleep, stress reduction, um, social connection, um, medication management. And then I always leave one, one circle empty for other because mm-hmm. I may may not be on there. And then I ask them, basically, these are things we can work on together. Not everything is here. There are other um, skills and, and ways I can support you. But where would you like to begin? And it's interesting because people spend time looking at it. And I allow people a couple of minutes just to sit there and look at it. And ultimately, someone will pick one or two, you know, pain education may be in there. Mm-hmm. Um Mindfulness may be in there and they choose the type of skill or um, behavior change, if you will, that they want to start with. And what's great about that is I know they have some confidence in, yes, I really want to learn how to do this because a lot of times people hear like, well, I've heard mindfulness is good for pain or I've heard, uh, you know, act is good for pain or nutrition. So when they choose, it's really them empowering themselves and it takes a lot of the pressure off the the provider as well to figure out where do I start are they being mm-hmm. complying with this how are they responding to it so that's the way I approach it with clients
0: oh I really like that that's a great approach um and hopefully people were taking notes there um, as as both of you were talking about kind of how you work with with your patients day to day because I know, oftentimes when we both go to different continuing education classes or CSM and things like that, and everybody's like, well, what can I do the next day? What can I do on Monday? And I think both of those were great examples of this is what you can do today as, as the clinician to not only integrate these principles into your practice, but to empower your patient at the same time. So very good examples. Now, speaking of the patient or the client or the person that you're working with. Um, how do you talk to them about all this? Like, would it, what if they look at you like, I came here because I have knee pain. Come on, what are you talking about?
2: Well, I think that in probably both of our cases, they've probably, by the time they get to us, they know what they're in for. <laughs> so I think the the question would be to the person that works at the large facility, you know, hospital down the street and the physician maybe referred them and they don't even know why they're coming to therapy to begin with. That's exactly who would ask that question. I came for back pain. I came for shoulder pain. Why are you talking about sleep? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that not to plug the book, but that's kind of one of our main goals is in, you know, and all the wonderful authors that are in this is to break it down in such a way that they have these these take home pieces. And also if you are listening and you have a way to influence what kind of intake forms go out ahead of an appointment, that will help so much. If you can make those a little bit more complex, a little bit longer, maybe slide in a few inventories that you'll read about in the book, that would help you so much. And then you you don't have to tackle everything at one time. They can bite off. I know Joe does the um, kind of, I have a Pentagon that I throw up for them um, and yours is the circles, very similar, and then they can self-direct in that way. It it really does put them in the um, where not the sage on the stage or the, the guide on the side at that point.
0: Right. And what, what are just for people listening, obviously they can go into the book to get more, to dive a little deeper But what are like your top three things that you're like, this has to be on my intake form. If it's not, I am going to be really upset about this.
2: Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah,
1: that's
2: that's hard because I have. I have every. I want to almost cover my mouth and go. I, I put everything on the intake floor. Right,
1: that's right. <laughs> I want to
2: know what they I want to know what music they're interested in. Um, as a musician and someone who uses sound in therapy, um, I want to know what foods they lean towards when they're stressed out. Sweet, mm. salty. You know what temperatures make them comfortable or uncomfortable. Those are the more obscure questions you may not think of as being on this kind of lifestyle and integrative mm-hmm. assessment. But those are the things that tell me, you know, including light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, what I need to the therapeutic landscape that I need to create for them when they come in. So if I see that ahead of time, someone, let's just say this happened last week, Uh, a young lady came in with endometriosis, she's probably going to have that sensitivity. So do I, you know, adjust appropriately, turn off the overhead lights, change the music? Make things more comfortable, you know, pull in, you know, more comfortable chair or whatnot. But I would include everything possible that you can. Um, you will have all the the you know the typical intake stuff, so we won't waste our time going over mm-hmm. that all those obvious things. But uh, for me, I want to make sure I ask them about all of the six pillars, which is in the first section of the book. Those mm-hmm. six pillars are probably the most important thing. And then after that, with the integrative piece a question as simple as what do you enjoy doing that you can't do right now? And, you know, do you even, do you like, and I give them a little checkbox, do you even like yoga? Do you, do you care? You know, right. if not, oh, great. Okay, I use yoga as a primary intervention and have for 25 years, but maybe we do something different. You know, mm-hmm. I wanna make sure that I'm reaching them where they are. So I think that might change clinician to clinician. And Joe, you may have some things to add on that too.
1: So I'll go a little bit kind of deep into the book here in chapter three, (laughs) which is the chapter on, um, coaching and behavior change on page 43. There's a really excellent tool called the physical therapy lifestyle assessment. It was actually, um, created by Janet Besner Mm -hmm. and, um, her other co-author. I want to make sure, um, Mary Sue Ingman, and it's probably a good time to, for Ginger and I to, of course, say thank you to the. 39 contributors to this book, we we couldn't have done it without all of you. And we won't have time to name all of you, but just know that we deeply appreciate your, your work and your research. Um, but just on page 43, there are five questions that look at um, the main lifestyle factors that we spoke about, sleep, nutrition, stress management, um, substance use. So just five questions. Mm-hmm. From there, I think what's nice is as professionals, we can Kind of mold our intakes based on our patient population, right? right? So if you're seeing a more women's health population, you may modify those. If you're seeing a more chronic pain population, you may modify um, some of those intake forms. So there's this flexibility, which I think is is wonderful. Um, you're always probably going to have at least one question around those six basic behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could just look at it as as you only have. You're already asking about exercise as, as a physical therapist, right? You now just have to squeeze in five more questions and then figure out, okay, if you have a chronic pain population, then you probably should consider something like um, trauma and use the um, PTSD five, which is just five questions to screen for Mm -hmm. trauma. If you're a pediatric physical therapist- I
0: was just gonna ask that, you beat me to it. I was gonna say, what about kids?
1: Yeah, Ginger, you want to comment on that? You have kids and you work with.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not
2: a pediatric PT, but they are near and dear to my heart. And uh, we we do have a peds chapter. And I think the answer to that really awesome question that you asked is why we put a whole section on special populations. So whatever your special population is, go to that chapter, and it's going to be outlined for you. Um, And that is just immediately applicable.
0: Yeah. And uh, I was just going to ask, what about pediatrics? What do, what do we do with the, with kids? Um, and I just want to um, highlight, I'm just going to read these. So sorry, everyone, but you're going to have to sit so I can read this. <laughs> um, the special population. So like Ginger said in the book, um, there are many wonderful authors writing about specific um, special populations. So there's pain there's mental wellness and spiritual health, pediatrics, orthopedics, neurology, geriatrics, obesity, diabetes, cardiometabolic health, oncology, women's health, health disparities, technology and telehealth, and then finally building that uh, lifestyle medicine practice. So just know that there are, if if you're working specifically in a geriatric population, they got you covered, right? So- everything is is in the book so you can go to that chapter and you can you can then take that information and bring that back into your practice whether it's in the paperwork that you uh, give out ahead of time or whether it's how to speak to that population maybe the 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 nuances that that population have uh because obviously pediatrics and and geriatrics are quite different, right? So uh, orthopedics and women's health, well, maybe somewhat the same, but, you know, still, still every, every population has its unique markers mm-hmm. and it's nice that the book covers all of that. So sorry, everybody, you had to, you had to sit and and listen to me read through that part of that uh, table of contents, but so be it.
1: What's also interesting is when you look at some of the research around kind of these lifestyle behaviors, there are some studies out there that demonstrate that physical therapy patients actually expect that we, as the providers, actually model these behaviors for them. So in some way, they look to us as people who are quote unquote healthy, right? Most of us exercise. Most of us have an awareness around what a whole food plant-based diet is versus a processed food um, diet. Most of us have an idea about sleep and stress. So a lot of patients are, they're they're expecting it. Of course, when you seed it with intake forms or you put things on your website or your social media and you talk about these topics, then they're more likely to have an increased awareness that, okay, this may not just be exercise. We may go deeper on other topics as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so you're you're sort of setting up those expectations before the person even walks into your door, right? Have you ever had a patient say, I don't understand why I need to fill all this out? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and what is your response to that?
1: You know, a lot of people, I mean, the people I work with, people who have chronic pain, they've of course have seen multiple providers and practitioners before. So I'm very sensitive to the the idea that they've been through this in some fashion, at least once mm-hmm.
0: before.
1: Um, and I also think we have to keep in mind that, you know, when you have a chronic condition, things like focus and attention can be a limited resource. Yeah. Don't feel the need that you have to do all this in the first session. Sometimes I'll have, you know, intake forms that I bring out at session six Mm -hmm. and that's fine. That's okay. Sure. If you can get all the information at your baseline, you know, that's the ideal, but I think as, as therapists, we should be flexible and we should really roll with our, our clients uh, and the people we're working with. And You know meet them where they're at and it can be it can seem really at times judgmental almost when you sit down and you fill out 30 pages of Mm. asking everything about your life from adverse childhood experiences to stress to mental health to your diet you know we want to kind of meet people and and get some good information but don't feel like you have to do all of it the first session Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that makes sense ginger go ahead yeah um
2: Oh, gosh, there's so much to talk about. (laughs) What you're just mentioning. Um, One of the things that I was going to mention and people feeling overwhelmed, and I've focused on chronic pain, chronic conditions, by the time they come to me, they've seen, you know, three, four, just like with Joe, they've seen multiple practitioners. Uh, So I think about this, this analogy or comparison may help other people who might feel overwhelmed with the incorporating the ILM pieces, think about if you were going to pelvic PT, for example, would they roll out every single intricacy? into intricacy? I can't say that
0: word. Intricacy? I intricacy?
2: Got you. Yeah, yes. I found a word I can't say. That is fun. Um, I wouldn't roll out every single thing that. Might end up happening. We're going to do intravaginal. We're going to do intrarectal work. No, no, we're not going to give them all that information. They may never come back. Mm -hmm. So, if I know they're going to need a particular sensitive treatment, which might mean for them talking about tobacco cessation, right? If we step away from the pelvic health comparison for a second, then I might be working my way into it, just like I would work my way into a regular intervention in pelvic health that I might introduce a little bit of the idea on the third visit, but it's not until the seventh visit that we're really, I'm going to say, okay, are we ready to mm-hmm. to talk about this or actually do it?
0: Yeah, so it sounds to me like what I'm hearing from both of you is, hey, get to know the patient, develop that therapeutic relationship, and as you go, forward you can start to introduce more and more as you feel they're ready and risk and and receptive to what you're going to be saying instead of like turning on the fire hose and pushing it all out on the first visit because you're right they probably they'll be like forget it it's not the the juice is not worth the squeeze here i'm out
1: (laughs) yeah there's there's something else we probably should maybe just drill down into just a little bit um as professionals, and I, as all health professionals, like we are kind of drawn to the idea of doing interventions, finding the best intervention that's going to help our, our patients. And of course, wrapped up in integrative and lifestyle medicine are certain types of interventions. But the approach that we take as lifestyle medicine practitioners is not so much that I'm trying to find the right intervention but that I'm more interested in bringing someone on a process of change. That's going to be a behavior change that sticks with them for the long term. So the idea that someone comes to me and I give them the quote unquote perfect diet, which there is none, right? That's like the idea of being an interventionalist. The idea that I help people make small nutrition changes each week, cutting sugar down in the beginning recognizing, um, that a lot of calories come in through sugary drinks, that's a behavior change process. And that's a very different, um, clinical approach, if you will, to working with people, than I'm going to give you the one exercise that cures this, or the one diet that fixes this, or the one mindfulness exercise that stops you from instantly catastrophizing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we look at this from the behavior change process, then it starts to make a lot more, more sense than how do I source the right intervention to, quote unquote, fix the person because that's not what we're about here,
0: right. Yeah, it reminds me of a, sorry it reminds me of a time I was with a patient, and we were it was one of those sessions where it was more talking. It was more asking questions, information finding, and then giving education. and and we're coming up to the end of the session. I said, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I f- like we haven't. Addressed your, I forget what it was, hip or something like that. And the patient said to me, he's like, you know, sometimes sessions are okay to just give education. You don't have to always do an exercise or hands on to make it a good session. That's what the patient told me. He's, he's, and I should also say he's a psychiatrist, but (laughs) he was like, you don't, he's like, and he's like, remember that if you don't always have to do things, you don't have to feel bad as the physical therapist that you didn't do something physical with them in that session. And that always stuck with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, that resonates so deeply for both Ginger and I, and, and we, we've lectured at, at conferences together. And again, there, a physical therapist kind of defaults to, I have to do exercise with the person. But I think your example with that um, client, Karen, is, is so key because we really should step more into the idea of your behavior change therapist. Um, and some of this has come up actually just recently, the idea that we're movement specialists, which we are, but Ginger and I really see ourselves in the profession as behavior change specialists. And sometimes that requires in-depth conversations, education. Andor or counseling, don't be scared to use the word counselor. I really do think as physical therapists, we are therapists and counselors mm-hmm. and it's okay to spend as much time as you want, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned, educating someone because that education is empowering for them.
0: Yeah. Ginger, go ahead.
2: Oh, I'm just enjoying now listening to taking in some of the things that you're saying. Um, I didn't have a particular point to bring up, but, um, I've spent a lot of time teaching yoga philosophy to a lot of healthcare providers over the years. And when you break down the idea of behavior change from an Ayurvedic philosophy and the dosha system, which those of you listening who love yoga are interested in yoga will resonate with you because there are different ways that we digest information mentally according to yoga and Ayurvedic philosophy. Um, without getting into the details of the uh, of the ten subdoshas <laughs> and the three primary doshas, um, when someone comes in, I am evaluating um, how they're mentally digesting that information in order to understand what dosha they might be or subdosha they may be, so that I can approach them in a different way. Um, we're learning that if we consider epigenetics, if we consider, you know, genetic expression and methylation and these things that, um, have, and, and the gut microbiome, that is, is in real time, minute by minute, changing how we learn and process information and react. Well, Ayurvedic philosophy had a, had a, 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 a bit of a system for that 5,000 years ago. So that's why I was sitting with what you guys were saying, because, that's where I spend a lot of my time is not necessarily doing those things Mm too, um, that were manual therapy focused. I mean, that was what I learned. I was a licensed athletic trainer. I learned sports med. I, I did all the integrative, you know, um, manual therapy training and then felt quite broken as a result with back pain and chronic pain. Um, and here I am trying to fix other people. So just to be able to sit with, someone in pain who has in large part, many times been broken by the fractured system and a lack of continuity of care, a lack of, we can't say concern necessarily because we we don't understand everyone's individual situation, but a lot of them have a large distrust of the system and it's it's valid, Mm
1: -hmm. it's
2: well-founded to be able to just sit and acknowledge Um, The experience they went through and to be able to then reestablish trust and rapport with them, because we, for all they know, are just another healthcare provider. But that's where ILM is so very different because they come to us, we sit with them and listen and then reestablish the trust that um, they lost somewhere along the way in the system to let them know that we're going to meet them where they are. And fortunately, we have these wonderful systems to um, step in and help them. So I didn't have anything additional to say just other than you guys are making great points. And that's really the thrust of what we do with ILM.
0: Well, I would I would disagree, respectively, and say you had a lot to say. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm going to disagree yes. with that. And it's, you know, as we talk about behavior change and things like that, I've been doing the last couple of weeks sort of a deep dive into beliefs. And I am of the opinion that physical therapists are in the business of changing beliefs. And I think you can change beliefs by encouraging small behavioral changes and adoption of new habits where people can then see their body and they are resilient Mm -hmm. and that they can move forward. Cause I also see you have three people who see people with uh, living with chronic pain. Um, but that they can then see that they've got this body that's not so fragile and broken and their beliefs about themselves can start to change and they can start believing in their bodies. And I think as someone with chronic pain, once you're able to do that, you can start believing in yourself and a lot of other things start to open up. Absolutely. So, so I think we are In the business of not just changing behavior, but changing beliefs and wherever that may take the person you're working with. Um, So that's what I've been doing the last couple of weeks is diving into the psychology research of beliefs, which has been really interesting. And I I suggest uh, if you really want to take a look at how you practice as a therapist to check your own beliefs and how how you're able to affect someone else. It's pretty, pretty cool stuff. And I think it all falls into this integrative and lifestyle medicine and physical therapy.
1: It most certainly does. I mean, you know, if, if you have someone who's diagnosed with um, diabetes, let's say, what's the main belief on how you manage diabetes in our, in our culture? Like what's the primary intervention? Insulin. Right. It's medication, right? The belief in a lot of the belief in our society is when I have a chronic condition, there should be a prescription Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: is used for treatment. And all of us naturally as physical therapists and other, you know, health providers kind of in the physical medicine space, see there are, there are alternatives. There are alternatives that one really don't cost much at all. Um, Two will help you live longer and better and stronger and three have no really almost have absolutely no side effects right every medication has some sort of side effects so yeah whether you're working with people with pain who have you know pain related beliefs or you're working with people with chronic conditions that have beliefs around you know what intervention is necessary um, mm-hmm. you know as you mentioned before expectations like those beliefs set up expectations and set the whole really plan of care in a lot of different ways
0: right right Well, I mean, let's talk as we start to wrap things up. Let's talk a little bit more about the book. Talk about, because this was not an easy task. This took a long, a long time. But why don't you guys give a quick history on the idea of this book and then how it went from this is an idea we have to now a published book in, you know couple minutes, (laughs) you know, in a couple of minutes time. No, take your time. I'm joking. Go ahead.
2: (laughs) Well, I started, I started annoying Joe, how many years ago, (laughs) several years ago, I sent him an email and we started to talk about this far off idea, you know, of discussing lifestyle medicine, which then evolved because I've been using integrative in life, lifestyle medicine forever. And, you know, and so it's Joe. So we, it evolved and expanded this idea of, well, we need to encompass the mind-body piece because mindfulness is so incredibly important and it's not exclusive to just yoga or, you know, and to talk about other things. So it grew beautifully <laughs> and bloomed really quickly. Uh, it's why we have so many wonderful authors and just a very deep thank you to every one of our authors for um, all of the hard work they did. And particularly in our little two minute um, piece here is that um, they all worked on this, we all worked on this during COVID. So that changed the landscape of what we did too. And that's just another heap of gratitude uh, for everybody's patience in working through something we had never lived through before. So um, I have lots of special memories that i'm taking forward on working with this book and how it came about but joe what's what's your um what's your input there
1: you know i mean ginger and i have overlapped you know over the over the years and as she mentioned you know she sent me an email with the idea for this book and at first we actually questioned like are our peers really like ready for this are they are they you know ready to embrace this and you know, we took the time to really select. These are all physical therapists who are either um, practicing clinicians or they're educators who have done research in this area. And everyone was so excited and so supportive around this book. I mean, the book is now being used in a lot of the health and wellness promotion courses as like the main book. So if you're in PT school, um, you'll probably have access to the book. But it also has you know applications for you know clinicians. So Karen, you mentioned part three is the special populations. I just to talk about the book, I want to mention part one are the foundations for lifestyle medicine. That's where you're looking at social determinants of health, um, psychologically informed care, looking at beliefs, as you mentioned before um, counseling styles and behavior change, which we've talked about, and then kind of like a biopsychosocial approach that's in part one. And then part two are all the vital signs, which we spoke about. Mm -hmm. So we really try to make it a comprehensive book that really encompasses everything. And, and, you know, in a way that's also concise, right? Because these are really, really um, big topics. And the feedback, I mean, the feedback really has been tremendous from everyone. Um, and we're, you know, what's amazing is we're seeing therapists now change their practice and they're starting to, you know, slowly but surely weave more of this into their approach. And I really think it's going to change the DPT curriculum, especially. Because the way we, you know, the Ginger mentioned, like she first was an ATC, all of us kind of came probably from more of like an ortho and sports mm-hmm. background, but our profession and our scope of practice has changed as, the as population health has changed, right? We see more and more chronic disease. So we have to shift our scope and shift our approach to, to address those types of things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as the population is aging, we're seeing uh, with baby boomers you know, this huge population of baby boomers entering into their 70s now, I guess, um, we're, we're definitely seeing a lot of more, let's say, um, layered uh, cases of people coming in to see us, mm-hmm. um, where I think this approach can be very helpful.
2: Mm-hmm. It's very COVID sensitive um, in, in terms of... Um, Shifting and, and interventions as well because of some of the practices that are in the book, so that's also really helpful right now. And I guess, in a way, um, it's very much. Um, we set out to to write and edit this book as a way to change beliefs for not just the patient, but for our profession.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. and. Um, Like I said, it's beautiful. I mean, and listen, guys, it's easy to read. Um, It's not like you're going to be overwhelmed by complicated um, stories or things like that. I mean, it's it's a great book. It's a great read. And like you said, the goal here is to change beliefs, not only of the patients, but also of our profession and to get people to change the way they're doing things, you know, start being more integrative, not to use the title of the book. Um, And before we uh, wrap things up, what I want to say is to all the people listening to this, if you want a copy, if you want to win a copy, I am going to give away a copy. So all you have to do to uh, get a copy of this book is I am going to, so today is Monday, so tomorrow, Tuesday, so just in case people are listening, I am going, just go to my Instagram, which is at Karen Litzy, that's the Instagram, and I will have a picture of this book, again, for those watching on YouTube, and all you have to do is comment underneath it, and you will be in the running to win a copy of the book. Now, if you don't win a copy of the book, where can people find it?
1: So they can find it by going to the website at optp.com and um, just type in integrative and lifestyle medicine and physical therapy, OPT, optp.com will come up. Um, if there are international listeners, which I know you have, Karen's a global mm-hmm. audience, they can go to Amazon and um, you can either order it internationally in some countries, or you can download it as an ebook.
0: Mm-hmm. Perfect.
2: I also wanted to mention that um, because we could not fit every single thing in chapters. We do have supplemental materials online. All of our references are online because we wanted to put the maximal amount of practical information in the book. So all of our citations are online um, and you can access those
0: with uh, codes in the book. Perfect. And where can people find you guys if they have questions specific to you? Joe, go ahead.
1: Uh, you can find me at the Integrative Pain Science Institute.com.
0: Perfect. Ginger?
2: Uh, Integrative Lifestyle Med.com.
0: Very well done. And we will have links to all of this to the book and to both Joe and Ginger at podcast. One click will take you everywhere. So, last question What advice, and this is for both of you, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? knowing where you are now in life, career, family, et cetera, et cetera. Ooh.
2: (laughs) I think mine is going to be gender driven because women kind of have to have a bit of an uphill battle. So I would have, I would say to myself, trust your instincts and don't doubt yourself. Self-reflect all you want. But uh, don't overthink it and, and, um, and self-doubt yourself because you, you really, and I'm speaking to all the other 20-some-year-old <laughs> therapists that are out there listening, you know more than you think you do, and, um, and you, you can succeed. Um, so that would be my message.
0: Great advice. Joe?
1: Mine would be to cultivate your own natural curiosity about things. I think as, uh, you know, doctoral trained, licensed health professionals, we have such an incredible base of knowledge and really start to, you know, obviously appreciate that base, but then start to kind of build on that and just, you know, think to yourself, what kind of practitioner do I want to be? And then how can I cultivate skills that maybe just be slightly out of, you know, physical therapy? Because Ginger and I were both curious about things like nutrition and mindfulness early on. And way back when we started using those things, we had no idea we'd be writing a textbook about it. So just our natural curiosity of how can I help people further really has led us here. And it can lead your career on a really interesting trajectory when you do that.
0: Excellent. I love it. Both amazing pieces of advice for anyone listening. So Joe and Ginger, thank you again. And everyone, the name of the book is Integrative and Lifestyle Medicine in Physical Therapy. You can get it at optp.com or internationally, you can go onto Amazon. Again, we'll have all the links at the website. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Ginger, for coming on. This was a great talk. Appreciate you guys.
1: Thanks so much, Karen. Thanks for
0: having us. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at smart dot com